So our series uh, from the cradle to the grave that we've done uh, the last few weeks is coming to an end today. And uh, my subtitle today in my message is From the Cross to the Throne. And uh, we have this beautiful rustic cross up here today. And uh, one of the things about crosses that's real important is that it's empty. Some crosses have Jesus' body still on the cross, and that, that's not true. He's gone. He's, he has left the cross, and there's no body left there. And, and the cross here today represents a, not only a cross that is free of His body, but it, it represents where He is today. And, and my message today is about everything that happened from the time that He was on the cross until He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And um, so, not going to take a long time, but I just feel like that there are some really key points that have to be brought out um, about what really happened. And I think there, there are points that you need to be reminded of. Some of you understand these points or you've heard these talked about before. Some of you haven't. Uh, some of you think you have, and, and then you're going to realize maybe today after we talk about this that you haven't. But we all need this to reaffirm and strengthen our commitment and our understanding of you know, what Jesus really did. Because um, we, we live in a society today that, that people are so mentally controlled by what seems to be right, that to have, quote, faith in believing in something that you can't see, or believing in something that is beyond your natural thinking, um, people are being really challenged with that today, and, and a lot of Christian people are being challenged with it. I, I've, I've seen over the last few years things that I never thought that I would have seen in the church. Um, I was never raised in the church. I didn't come into the church till I was about 18 years old. And since I've been in the church over the last 38 so plus years, I've been in the kingdom of God. Um, my belief in God has grown and it's been strengthened. And I believe in what I believe in today stronger than I ever have. But, I, but I've seen people that I grew up with in the church world begin to stray away from that and, and begin to believe all different kinds of things. And you know, we, we live in a free country. You can believe whatever you want to believe. Nobody's here, and nobody's here at this church to force anything on you in, in, in what we're teaching today. But I am here to teach you what I believe is true from the Word of God. Not just what I believe that, that I think is right, but what I believe is true from the Word of God. And so, several things that, that I think are key to what really happened from the cross to the throne. I've had a lot of different conversations through the years with people that are a part of different maybe denominations or different segments of, of organizations that talk about Jesus and, and that talk about, you know, that they have Jesus on, you know, on crosses and Jesus on the doorpost of whatever their organization is and, and they say that they believe in Him. But, but there's, there's a lot of discrepancy in what they say they believe because it doesn't line up with the Word, or at least what I see is true with the Word. Now, 
what I think is right. You know, I'm delivering to you, but you have to go to the Word and decide whether that's right or not for yourself. And, and if you don't do that, you can only live off of what I believe and tell you for, for a period of time. Only for a period of time. It has to become personal. You know, when a child is born, and a, and a baby is born on day one, when that child is there, that child is totally dependent on someone else helping them. If you take a baby that's born and you just kind of throw them out there and say, fend for yourself, they won't live. They won't make it. In the church, if people get born again and we just tell them, okay, you're born again and now just figure it out for yourself, they'll never grow. They'll never understand. You, know, you, you see? And, and it's, it's vital that we come into an understanding and help other people and that we know what we believe. You know what? I believe God's more pleased with people that believe they know something, even if it's wrong, than for people to just, well, you know, I don't know, and maybe God's this and maybe he's that. I want to know what God is. I want to know who he is and, and how he thinks, and I want to know what he's done for me so that I can take that and apply that in, in my relationships with other people. I want, I want to have something that people can gain and receive just from being in my presence. I want to have something that's real because God said it should be that way. Everywhere Jesus went, people took a bite out of him, either one way or the other, either good or bad. But he had something to give every person. And God wants us to be that way all the time. Amen? So I really feel like today that this, the rest of this series that's coming to an end today, I believe that the, these few things that I believe are key from that what happened from the cross to the throne are part of who we are. And we need to understand those. So let's just dive into it. Um. <clears throat> One of the things that, that, again, this is what I believe at least to a certain point, because this isn't an exhaustive study of the few things that I'm going to bring out and the points that I'm going to bring out here, but there is, there is or, or can be a lot of different controversy over what really happened from the cross to the throne. I mean, there's all kinds of stories that have been told about you know, when Jesus died and, and then he went to the grave and then he, then, then he wasn't in the grave where they had laid him before. And, and there was, there's been all types of stories in history that, that, well, his disciples came and stole the body and made it look like he was resurrected and those kind of things. There's all kinds of different stories out there. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible tells us. And, and the Bible doesn't give us everything but it gives us enough information for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what really happened and why it happened. I don't want to know just that something happened. I want to know why that something happened. Amen? So, let, let, let's just look at a couple things here today. Um, one of the things that I see very clearly is that Jesus was stripped of everything. And you have to realize that he was a man that lived in a community. You know, let's just say somebody that lived in Kerrville. And he was a person that worked a job. He was a carpenter's son. And then he became a carpenter himself. And he, he worked hard and he knew people and he preached the word. And like my wife said earlier, he was in church all the time. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew him in his community. 
And here's, here's a guy that up until the time that he stood up in front of the whole congregation and said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I, in other words, what he was telling the church is, I'm the Messiah. People looked at him and they said, come on, man, this guy, we, we, we know this guy, we know Jesus, we know who he is. What do you mean you're the Messiah? You know, maybe, maybe he was wrong. Well, well, from that point on, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, they wanted to stone and kill him. Well, many, many times they tried to take him out, but it wasn't his time until he gave it up. And in the garden, as we read last week, he gave up to the Roman soldiers and, and, and the soldiers that came after him to arrest him. He gave it up. And, and he said, in other words, it's his time. Peter and the disciples wanted to fight these guys. And he said, no, no, no. no we're not here to bring a sword and to fight. It's time for what was supposed to happen, what I was born for to happen, to happen. And that's what happened. And, and what the cross represented was one of the most horrible and despicable forms of death. You know, the movie's you know, don't quite do it justice because he was on the cross. They nailed him to this cross and they stripped him of all of his clothing. And here's a guy in a community. You just think of yourself in, in Kerrville. And maybe you've lived here, myself, I've lived here for over 26 years. People know me in this town. And then one day they decide to drag me out to the edge of the city and nail me to this cross and strip me of all my clothing, and everybody in the town walks by and sees you. Everybody walks and sees who you are, and it was a humiliating way to be destroyed and to feel as a man like God was forsaking you. There's a passage of Scripture, and I want to just point this out in Psalm 88. You can go back and read it later, the whole passage. Because this passage is about what actually happened to Jesus and, and the things that he said to the Father. It was a prophecy in the Old Testament of what was actually going to happen. And in Psalm 88, this is what Jesus said. O Lord, God of my salvation, I've cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you and incline your ear to my cry. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near to the grave. And on and on and on. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you have afflicted me with all of your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me, and you've made me an abomination to them, and I am shut up and I cannot get out. Notice, one of the things that really bothered Jesus is that all of his friends left him. That bothered him. Notice, and notice what he said here in verse 18. My loved ones and friends you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. Everybody forsook him. Not just a few people, but everybody. Everybody turned their back on him. No one wanted to be a part of him. Why? Because what he was doing was stripping himself of everything so that you could be set free. Amen? We can focus on the fact that he was stripped and humiliated and crucified and nailed to a cross. I mean, they didn't have to kill him that way. They could have taken him out some other way. They could have just slit his throat and laid him down. But they humiliated him, and he took all of that humiliation and that shame upon himself so that you and I could be free. Hebrews 12 says, he, he endured the cross, he despised all the shame, and he took it all upon himself, and yet he deserved none of it 
so that you would be free. Who deserved it? Who deserved all that mess? You and I. Amen? We deserved it. Because of what He took on Himself, He liberated us from being able to be in situations where we had no answers. You know, have you ever lost a relationship? You ever lost a relationship with someone and you felt like he just said right there, like there was this dark place? You ever lost a relationship maybe with somebody that, that left the earth and passed on, or you lost a relationship with somebody that you had been connected with, maybe a marriage relationship or just a friendship or a family member or, or relationships with people that are close to you and, and now all of a sudden you're separated. I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this out here today and I want you to think about this because what he accomplished for you was to be able to restore relationships. You say, well, you know, I... I, I lost a relationship, uh, you know, I was married to somebody and now I'm not and I'm married to someone else. Well, I'm not talking about trying to work something out that's not going to be worked out. I'm talking about relationships with people that you've been close to and something happened. God has given us understanding in the mind of Christ to learn how to, to, to be empowered to establish relationships that have been divided and been separated. And, and you'll know in a situation by the Spirit of God whether you can actually accomplish that or not. But what he went through, and, and notice in Psalm 88, twice he talks about his friends and his loved ones, the people closest to him. Twice he talks about that. And the fact that that was dear to his heart, he took that upon himself so you can be empowered to reconnect and reestablish broken relationships. Someone say amen to that. That's a good thing. You, you may not think it. You, you may think, well, crap, I don't want that, that relationship. You know, those people did me wrong, and I, you know, I'm going to stick it to them. That, that's not the attitude of God. And God will teach you how to develop a right attitude toward people. Because think about it for a minute. What if you had a broken relationship with someone, and it was severed, and that relationship was one, and it was stronger than it was before. Just think about how awesome that that is, that you can tell other people how through God and the strength and the anointing and the power of God working in your life, that that, that happened, and it can work in their lives also. I, I'm, I'm all about hearing about great testimonies of great things that happen. I mean, almost like impossible situations. I don't know about you, but I've had broken relationships in the past where it seemed like it was impossible for those relationships to be restored. I say no. I say today, relationships are being restored. Think about this for a moment. If you're born again, and that person's born again, you're going to spend eternity together. You might as well fix it now and, and see it fixed now than to get there and who knows how you're going to have to deal with it. Amen? I, I, I want to I come in with a clean slate. How about you? Hmm? I want to be able to have connections with everybody no matter what. So he was stripped of everything so that you and I could be liberated and free. Second thing we have to understand is that God turned his back on Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus was made sin. He was made sin. He took all sin on himself and God turned his back on that sin. Now, think of it like this. Let's say that uh, actually there, there, there was a, 
there was a time in, in my life before I got born again where because of a lot of my actions, um, my parents could have like turned their back on me because of my mistakes and turned away from me and refused me. They could have said, you know what, I, I, I don't ever, we, we don't ever want to deal with you anymore because of the things that you've done and the attitude and the act, your actions, we, we're, we're turning our back. Why? Because of the things that I did. Here's Jesus who did nothing wrong and He took all wrong upon Himself and God had to turn His back to Him. God had to turn away from Him because of what was on Him. Now watch this. In... Um, in Matthew 27, and we'll just read a few verses of Scripture right here. Matthew 27, and we're going to start with verse um, 45. <clears throat> and from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, the man is calling out for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran out and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And, and, and watch verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened. They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. In that moment, they believed. But what happened? God turned his back on him, and in a moment's time, everything was destroyed. All the sin, all the shame, all the sickness, everything that humanity ever dealt with in, his, in, in their life, all of humanity before us, us, and after us, in that moment, it was cut off. And what happened was, now it was off with the old and on with the new. What happened in the temple is that it was separated, the, 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 the curtain was torn. No more were there going to be sacrifices for people's sins and mistakes anymore. Now this one sacrifice was going to empower all of mankind to be able to overcome every situation that they would ever face. You know, today, because God turned His back on Jesus, because God turned His back on Him and allowed all of sin and all the shame and all the sickness and everything to come upon Him, His only Son, and allowed Him to die and to be resurrected, as, as, as God allowed that, it empowers you and I today to be able to overcome everything that we face. You know that you and I, we don't have to be afraid of anything. There's not anything that you have to be afraid of. It's a choice. 
We choose whether we're going to be afraid or not. We choose whether we're going to give in to situations and feel powerless and feel like we don't have the ability to overcome. But in Christ, we can do all things. Everybody say that. I can do all things. Amen? Through all things, through this sacrifice and this price that was paid. We have to understand that God turned His back on sin and in essence turned His back on His Son. The Bible says that he was three days and three nights. Like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, he was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. So he was on the cross. And I like this passage in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to start with verse 24. I mean, uh, verse 38, I mean. And it says, And after this, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission so that he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in stripes of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one yet had been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. You have that picture for me? of the tomb when I was in when I was in um, Jerusalem no that's the pit I need the tomb there's the tomb that that previous picture was the pit at Caiaphas's house where they had dropped Jesus down in the hole but here is the tomb where they laid Jesus and you know when you go to Israel there's there are certain things that they say they know for a fact is where it happened. Other things they say that's probably about 80% possible. Other things they say about 50%. And some of the things they say, well, we're just guessing. Amen? But this is about an 80%er. And this tomb right here, you notice there's, there's no... And we looked at probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 different tombs. And in every tomb, there was the form of a man or a person in the tomb because of the body fluids, of the the bodies laying there for so long. But this tomb, there's no body fluids. Because this, if it is, even if it's not the actual tomb, it's a tomb like where he was laid. And Joseph Joseph of Arimathea brought him and laid him in this tomb. And when, when he laid him here, they rolled the stone across and they put guards up, you know, to make sure that nobody would steal his body. And not only were there just guards, but there were Roman guards, and there were Jewish guards, and there was guards. I mean, there were guards everywhere that protected the tomb. And it says in the 20th chapter, and the first verse, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away. So three days later, the stone is removed, and there's no body. As you read on in this passage right here, there's no body in the tomb. He was there, and then he's not there. 
But he had prophesied and he had told the people that in three days that he would be resurrected. He told them that it would happen. And what happened in that time period was was something that today empowers you and I. And and in that time period, in that three days, and and, and let me back up because the piece that I just read that when the earthquake happened when he gave up his last breath, it says that people were resurrected from graves and they went into the city even ministering. One, one translation says they're ministering in the city. These are dead people being raised from the dead and ministering to people. And what were they ministering to people? They were telling people what was actually happening. Just think about that. Think about if this happened in Kerrville and Jesus was raised from the dead and all of a sudden, in the graveyard out here on 16, people's bodies came out of the graves and people you know that it died 15 years earlier, 20 years earlier, 30 years, 40 years, you know? Uh, people that you know that had passed away came out of the graves and were down, you know, on Main Street telling people that Jesus is alive. I mean, this is a crazy time. This is a wild time. This was a time of things not being believed, of people running and people actually even thinking, you know, what's happening? The world's coming to an end. There's an earthquake and people are rising up from, the, from graves and they're preaching the Word. What, what the heck is going on? What was happening was, what Jesus was doing in those three days, is He was going, He went to hell, and He delivered the message to hell that no more are you going to be in authority. And He stripped Satan and all of hell of the authority that Adam and Eve had given them in the garden. Stripped them. And then he took all the people that had died up to that point and led them out of captivity into captivity of God. Into what Jesus had now paid for. And what, what had happened was those people that were raised from the dead were the first converts, or, the, or, or not converts, but the first ones to enter into what you and I get to experience when we receive what Jesus did for us. Because what they went to tell people is, you know what? What you guys have been waiting for has manifested. What you've talked about and what's been prophesied in all these previous years, here it is. He didn't come in on a white horse like they thought he was. He didn't come in ruling and reigning. He came in, as the Scriptures said, you know, born in a manger, born literally in a cave, born, you know, in, in a situation where it didn't seem like this is the way it was going to happen. They just thought he would appear and manifest. But how, how, why, did, why did the Jewish people think that? They'd built this stuff up in their mind. They'd been taught. They had the Scriptures. They knew how he was going to come, but they missed it. They missed it. And you know what they were afraid of? Change. They were afraid of change. And all of a sudden... Things are changing. And in this time period, in these three days, some amazing things happened. And he was laid in the tomb. And then on the third day, Mary Magdalene goes. And James and John, I mean Peter and John go. And, and, and they find him. And, or they see that, the, that he's not in the tomb. And then they, they find him and they talk with him. And then there's all this stuff going back and forth between all of the disciples. And I mean, I mean, they're so confused, I don't know what's happening. They're, they're in a state of turmoil, and, and they get reports from a bunch of women 
saying that he's alive, and they're saying, no, 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 that, that can't be true. And then they see him, and some of them still don't believe. I mean, all this stuff is going on, and yet he spent three years with them preparing them for this time. And then in John, in the 20th chapter and the 24th verse, I want you to hear this because this is key to where we're at today. Now, Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Because Thomas, he had been told twice and still wasn't believing. And he's seeing Jesus here stand in his midst, and he's still struggling believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, and, I, and, and this is the message of Jesus Christ today that is difficult for people to receive, but this is for you and I today. And Jesus said to Thomas, Because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Amen? How many of us today, come on, give him praise for that. How, how many of us today, we don't get to stick our finger in the holes or touch his side. But just because the word says so, we choose to believe it. God wants you to become so sure of the pages of this book that nobody can talk you out of it. Not anybody. You know what? The world needs you to believe this that way. Now, look at these next two verses. We're going to read them again after we partake of communion. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. In his name. Gosh, I love that verse. But these signs, the things that we have right here, these signs, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing that you might have this eternal life. It's here now for us. Amen? It's here for us right now. Now, one more thing, and then hosts can come and we're going to partake of communion. Um, and, and this is th- this is really really important because Jesus commissioned his disciples after this he was with them 40 days to prepare them for what was going to what was going to happen and he did and one of the last things that he did was to commission his disciples And he commissioned them to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to baptize, to immerse people in the revelation of who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Holy Ghost. The three that are one. Yet they're three. But they're one. But they're three. But they're one. But they're three. 
See, and, and just, just in the natural, that doesn't make any sense. But there's three of them. There's three. There's four. There's three, but there's one. Right? The three are one. Just like you and I are a spirit, we have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a physical body. We're three, but we're one. But yet we got three parts. And you can't mix the three together and just say, ah, well, we're just a Christian. No. No, you got to understand spirit, soul, and body, or you'll get be confused, and you'll live your life confused. That's why you have to understand Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and that's what He commissioned them to do. Let people know who Father is, who the Son is and was, and who the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us today. And he, and he said that was vital in that commission. So at the end of this, and his ascension, give me, that, give me the picture of where, at least pretty close to where they believe he ascended from. The last picture I think that I gave you. There it is. So we're in Jerusalem, and what you can see is is the old city of Jerusalem. That's part of the wall. That's the eastern wall. And right in the middle, you can see the eastern gate where many people believe that's where Jesus will return, right there. And where I'm standing, where I'm taking this picture from, is from the Mount of Olives. And down through there, you see the graveyards. And just a little bit to the right, down from there, is the Garden of Gethsemane. And down in the bottom of that is the Kindron Valley. And so they took Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane, and they drug him through the Kindron Valley here, all the way through, and to Caiaphas's house. And the first picture you saw was the pit where they threw him in, and that's where he spent a number of hours in that pit. And that is literally Caiaphas's house, and that is the literal pit. When we stood in the bottom, I can feel cold chills going down my back. But when we stood in the bottom of that, what they believe is that the things that were recorded in Psalm 88 that we just read are the things that he said when he was in that pit. Felt feeling like everybody forsook him, God's turned his back on him, and all those things. And that's what came on him when he was in that pit for that number of hours. But that's the pit. And, and that hole right there, go back to that, that hole right there, was the only way into the pit. Now they've built stairs and you can walk down in there. But, but what's recorded, or at least our tour guide told us, is that what, what they believe is that they just threw him down into the pit and they left him in there with a rope wrapped around him because the only way they could get him out was to pull him out. And so when it was time, they pulled him out. There's no lights. We had light down there, but there was no light. It was dark. It was a pit. And he was in there for however many hours. But back to the ascension. From this point, from the Mount of Olives, or, or at least to the side, actually, it was somewhere around where Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, house was in Bethany. So, from that eastern wall to where I'm standing, and a, a little bit to the south of where I'm at, to the left, where I'm standing taking that picture, is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house was. And that's where he ascended, a town called, it says in Luke that he went as far as Bethany. Bethany's about a mile and a half from that eastern wall right there, and that's where he ascended. And so from this ascension, he told his disciples in Scripture, he said, I'm, I'm, he had prepared them that he was going to prepare a place for them. And when he left the earth, even though everything that the cross produced Everything that the grave and the three days in the belly of the earth produced and the resurrection produced 
what he went to do in heaven was to paint this picture in heaven at the Holy of Holies of heaven. He, his blood cleansed everything, and from that point on, it was finished. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he said, what we did here is finished. And what did we talk about in our first message? He was born to die. For 33 years he lived on planet earth and his purpose on earth was to be born to die for you and I. To be raised and now as I'm talking right now he's at all places at all times he's hearing me tell you today. Think about it. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father hearing me tell you that I believe what I'm saying and he wants you to believe it. That when he sat down at the right hand of the Father it was a done deal. Now all authority and all dominion that was given to Adam and Eve has been given back to you and I, and we can do anything. (laughs) I mean, we can do anything. We live in a world that needs somebody to believe they can do anything. Right? And we can do anything. But you know what? You know what the key to that success is? That we do it together. Because not one of us, not one of us are the equivalent of him. It's all of us together that are the equivalent of not the deity of God, but we're equivalent to the anointing of God that was on him. Same spirit that raised him from the dead, same spirit that lives in you and I, but now we're all one body but many parts. And the parts have to work together and function together to accomplish all that God desired to accomplish. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen and amen. Let's just pray just